Welcome to Supplier Experience Live from Hicks, where we explore all the latest topics, trends, and discussion points in the world of procurement, procurement technology, and supplier experience management. My name is Duncan Clark, and welcome to the podcast. For this session today, we're taking a trip to the beautiful city of Geneva in Switzerland, and I'm delighted to welcome Hervé Legendre to the podcast. As the director of the EIPM Value Creation Observatory, Hervé conducts research on innovation and purchasing, and on how new technologies are changing industries. He believes that the competitive edge for companies will increasingly be co-created with suppliers, as innovation needs to be seized from the outside. He, along with Bernard Gracia, have recently released a book on the topic, Fifth Generation Purchasing When Pace Meets Power, which podcast listeners can download and enjoy. And more on that a little bit later. But first of all, welcome, Hervé, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Duncan. Great pleasure to be um, with you today. So let's uh, start first of all then with the book itself. Um, Could you tell us a little bit more about why you wrote it and what listeners can learn? Yeah, no, I think it's interesting to go back to the uh, initial, uh, you know, what what got us started on uh, on this book. And uh, so the, the title is Fifth Generation Purchasing, and, and then there's a strap line, which is When Pace Meets Power. So the book is really about, you know, speed, pace of change, uh, you know, this type of uh, perspective on the uh, procurement um, uh, activities. And, you know, if I go back a little bit in time, it was it was in 2015 that um, I noticed a number of things. So uh, in 2015, PepsiCo decided to erase from one day to another its marketing procurement team, not because they were not bringing savings, not because they didn't have the market knowledge, but because they were too slow and they were not responsive enough. And around that time, I was also um, coaching one of my uh, executive MBA students, and she was working in uh, a car manufacturer in uh, China, someone really talented, and her job was really about, you know, onboarding some of the Chinese digital giants and some of the startups, digital startups, who were interested you know, to provide applications in cars. And that company had developed a digital platform that was going into a car, and these companies were interested to provide uh, apps through this uh, platform. And for her, one of the big challenge was the pace of change. Basically, the um, automotive world was all about, you know, uh, 18 to um, three years type of horizon. This is the time it takes for marketing R&D to deliver a new car, develop it, launch it on the market. And when she was working on these deals with, uh, you know, tech companies and startups, I mean, the pace was very different. It was about, you know, weeks and months. So this is really showing that the pace of change and speed, you know, is, is absolutely essential to uh, um, the world we live. And it's absolutely key to be able to work in sync uh, with the market and with the internal stakeholder. If I say marketing role is to help, you know, 
catch market opportunities at the right time. Our R&D role is about catching technology opportunities at the right time. You're not surprised. But if I say, you know, procurement role is to help and catch access business opportunities at the right time and speed, that sounds a little bit more unusual. But this is absolutely essential in the world we live in. And we really wanted to reimagine procurement around the logic of a pace, speed, and time. How can we accelerate and anticipate at the same time? How can we explore and exploit opportunities at the same time? These have been really stimulating questions that have led us to write the, uh, the whole book. And a lot of the research we had been conducted on innovation, on the development of the Internet of Things, digital technologies, and the assessment we had conducted as part of the Peter Krajic Award that we run at EIPM, we already had plenty of practices and experience that we were able to assemble, you know, to deliver a perspective on the role of pace and time in procurement activities. I see that you mentioned the five generations of purchasing and that we can learn from history, but could you elaborate on the idea of fifth generation purchasing? Yeah, no, I think there is a there is a certain perspective where we believe that uh, progress is linear and time after time, you know, we are just uh, making progress. But but the reality is different. You know, the evolution of a purchasing over the past 150 years was driven by changes in the industries. The evolution of the broader environment has led to a massive transformation of a procurement of a time. Um, there was a time, once upon a time, procurement didn't exist as a function. Uh, before we had very large company, it was actually the founder, who was also the general manager, who was also the sales manager, who was also the procurement person of the company. You know, these people were uh, going to the main uh, markets, the big trade routes, they were... Uh, selling their product uh, in the morning and end of the afternoon, they would just be, you know, buying what they needed to keep their business running. After we had a second generation where uh, large corporations started to develop and procurement was really essential at that time. In the railroad industry, for instance, you had a um, head of purchasing that were directly reporting to the CEO of these companies. It was all about rationalizing, extending the, uh, the, 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 the working on the TCO, making sure that all the investment of the companies were protected and negotiating with the emerging big companies that were selling them steel at that time. But then there was a whole period. This was the dark age of procurement where uh, um, borders were closed. There was a lot of tariff barriers. So that was, you know, after the First World War. And uh, it, it, you know, it continued through the 20s, the 30s and further. And at that time, companies, uh, because of the uh, supply risk, because they couldn't expand internationally, they became, you know, vertically integrated. And procurement nearly disappeared. 
it was just about, you know, um, the supply management, managing the logistics aspect. Uh, a few contracts were managed at the top of the company for raw materials, but the procurement lost its relevance because companies were vertically integrated. And things have evolved over time, eh? and the fourth generation purchasing was all about globalization, supporting supply chain all over the world. And, and since 2008, with the crisis, with the emergence of digital technology, we've moved into a different world again, where innovation is really coming from outside corporation, where the structure of supply chain has been evolving significantly, and we wanted to focus on, you know, these types of uh, novelty that is really changing the way we should be working in procurement. In the book, you also speak about some trends that are taking place or some shifts in the business landscape. So what are the key trends that you're seeing and what does this mean for business leaders and practitioners? Well, that's a great question because you didn't say what are the procurement trends. You know, you ask for more general trends. And, and this is something I keep telling to, you know, into uh, the, uh, the program we deliver at EIPM, into the education program. Um, what's important is not about what's next in procurement. What's important is what's next for the business. What's next for the industry? What are the key trends that will be impacting your industry, your business? And how can you reflect on these, shift priorities, and scale up some of the skills of procurement? So that's really an important mindset. So depending on one industry to another, you know, you will see different trends kind of, uh, you know, shaping the, um, the agenda. But there are a few that are quite common across. So supply chains are vanishing. They're disappearing. The idea of, you know, this is the automotive industry with the automotive supply chain. The chain has disappeared. Now we have networks, ecosystems. Um, it's a lot about electronics. It's a lot about software. So we see a different form of organization appearing. So that's one very important element because it means that there are more opportunities coming up that are often coming from unfamiliar type of partners. And it's absolutely essential for procurement to be able to, you know, play a role here, bring access to these type of skills. The world is also a lot about personalization. And this is forcing us to think differently about, you know, standards and personalized services. Where is it we should have something standard so we can still leverage economies of scale? And where is it we can support the company to build something more personalized? So that's a different way of thinking. You know, we were really focused on synergies, um, trying to make sure everybody was using at the maximum the same product and services. But now we need to be this enabler of 
a good balance between standardization and personalization. And finally, the um, CSR agenda has moved significantly. Yeah? I mean, some years ago, it was about philanthropy, uh, compliance. Now, we need to think in terms of how do we put sustainability at the center of most of the company's business model? And that has massive implication for procurement. How do we develop the implementation of circular, um, the circular economy? How do we innovate in terms of environmental aspect, uh, customer-related aspect that takes into account sustainability? You know, reporting is just a tiny step in a very long journey that calls for a lot of innovation that will be coming from outside. So, you know, just a few trends that really impacting many sectors these days where there are clear opportunity for procurement to play a different role in the organization. And of course, for, for, for procurement to be able to act on these changes, it's often quite important to have some kind of framework around that. And that's why I wanted to ask you about um, one of the other aspects that you talk about in the book. You've mentioned already fifth generation procurement, um, but also there's what you refer to as the fifth generation framework. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that and, and why it's important? Yeah, so basically there's, a, there's two axes. Uh, there's the demand side and the supply side. Nothing surprising uh, in the procurement world. And what we look at is the speed of change on the demand side. How often uh, clients, stakeholders, users are expecting some evolution in what we get out of the market to support their business activities. On the other side, we've got the pace of change on the uh, supply side. How quick do we see new generations of product, of services, new companies popping up? So what is the pace of change on the supply side? And when you look at this, there's many types of situation. For instance, you know, if you're working for a company who's, uh, you know, selling chocolate bars, um, the demand in terms of um, cacao is, you know, is evolving a little bit from one year to another in terms of uh, volumes, but you're still buying cacao. So on the demand side, you've got fairly stable requirement. But on the supply side, you know, this is a very turbulent market, very deep into the um, uh, ecosystems. You've got some... Uh, uh, new uh, new players that are changing the role of the game. There's other market influencing it. So you have all these things that are really uh, creating turbulence on the supply side when demands remain quite stable. And, you know, there's opposite situation where, you know, you can go and get access from existing supplier to a wide variety of services that can quickly help the business to change, personalize, deliver some new things. So the idea uh, of the framework is to look at these two dimensions, and then we are proposing six work modes. One of the work modes is really tactical buying. This is when the pace of change on both the demand and the supply side are quite stable. 
So this is really about, you know, changing the architecture of how we buy, what we buy, in order to become very efficient and create an outstanding user experience for the people inside the company who need to request these type of things. But if the pace of change is changing uh, fast on the demand side and not so fast on the supply side, we have the uh, agile advisor, someone working very close to the business, understanding their problems, their needs, uh, how things are shifting on the customer side, so they can go and quickly access from existing and emerging supplier, you know, the novelty that helps to, you know, create the right competitive advantage. And there's another mode, for instance, that we call the competence center, which is all about uh, being able to scan what's happening deep into the supply chain, the ecosystem, understanding new technologies. So like, you know, if, if you're looking at bringing some sensors, for instance, you know, this is really a market that's evolving every day. So you need to advise the business at the right moment on which technology is the one they should be looking at. And suppliers change fast, technology evolved, and that's really important to have this ability to help take the right decision internally here. So overall, I'm not going to go into all of them. There's uh, six work modes, um, tactical buying, there's uh, the Agile Advisor, there's um, Exploration, there's uh, the Competence Center, Collaboration and Alliance. And for each of them, we describe how you can adapt your ways of working so you can deliver the right value for the right challenge that the company is facing. Yeah, there's certainly lots of advice packed into that uh, that framework. And, and one of the words that has come up quite frequently in our discussion today is, is innovation. And of course, innovation also impacts digital technologies and digital solutions, um, which also contributes to that pace of change. I'd be interested in your views in terms of perhaps some of the opportunities that sit here for leaders and practitioners or any of the other aspects that they should be aware of. Okay, maybe I can really focus here on the use of digital technologies by procurement teams. I think very often the, the case for investing in digital technology for procurement team is all about control and efficiency. That's the immediate focus. But there is so much more to this. It's only one of the benefits you can get out of, you know, the new technology. The uh, second dimension is really the user experience, is really the ability to offer to any requester, anyone who needs um, to get access to something from outside, a seamless and a fantastic user experience. We often talk about delivering a, an Amazon-like type of experience. Well, that's not enough. It needs to be better than Amazon-like because as individuals, as consumers, we kind of enjoy looking at things on Amazon. But in a corporate environment, you know, people really need to get on the right catalog, the right platform, the right request form within 10, 20 seconds. So a very strong focus of digital should be about supporting users well beyond procurement. 
Another key benefit from digital technology is a sort of a agile ability. You know, we have digital assets, we have a supplier database, we have uh, a lot of information and some tools. How quickly can we use that to help us through turbulent time? So, for instance, during the pandemic, you know, some companies have been able to develop within two weeks an algorithm that was taking into account the spread of COVID, that was taking into account um, a few other factors and the location of supplier. And on a daily basis, you know, they were given the list of suppliers they were supposed to contact to anticipate some of the issues. And at that time, you know, two weeks of investment was giving them two weeks ahead of the competitors that were also using the same supplier. And these two weeks were bringing a phenomenal advantage in terms of being able to adapt to the situation. And there's many other examples throughout the pandemic where we've seen the ability to very quickly, you know, develop um, a simple digital solution that brings resilience, agility to the organization. And finally, there's another benefit, which is to use digital for strategic activities. I've uh, published this year an article in the European Business Review on how Vodafone is uh, using uh, AI uh, to support their uh, uh, design to cost lab. So before, it was taking something like six weeks to be able to, you know, get all the components on the PCBA and to be able to build uh, the cost base for that. Now, using AI, they can take pictures, scan it, and very quickly, they can build a cost model. So that is not simply about efficiency and control. This is about boosting the uh, strategic capabilities of procurement. So I really think that we need to pay attention to find the right balance, you know, between all these types of benefits in order to really deliver the true mission and the true vision of the procurement organization. And I love that you mentioned in your answer there the aspects of competitive advantage, which of course comes up again and again. And another area that creates that competitive advantage, of course, is innovation, um, which also talks to the theme of collaboration. And I know one of the running themes throughout the book is how that comes from the outside. So I'd be interested in your views when thinking about collaboration and innovation specifically. <coughs> Sorry. Well, you know, I was just uh, pausing and thinking because there's so many things I could be, you know, sharing on this one. Maybe I'll try to, you know, I'll try to debunk uh, a misconception. Very often, procurement teams see the first step related to innovation. Let's go to an existing supplier, see what they have, and, you know, try to promote some of their innovation to the business. Well, that can take you somewhere, that can be useful, okay. But I think we need to reverse the logic. In order to really contribute to the agenda, you know, we shouldn't be the small fish who's trying to get the big fish to change of direction. 
we should be very close to the business. We should not ask them about their requirements, about what they need. We should ask them about their fear, their problem, what can really be a challenge for them tomorrow. And when we understand problems, then we can go and look for solutions outside. Innovation is not about having great ideas, is not about finding technologies, is about understanding, framing problems, and then going to access the right solutions. So let's get close to the business, understand their problem. And when you understand their problem, by the way, and you use that in the conversation, you demonstrate, you understand what's bothered them at night, what prevent them from sleeping, suddenly they, they see you as someone much closer to them than, than, you know, if you talk to them about savings and other things and your process. So that brings you closer to them and that really helps you to understand what can be accessed outside that will be making a, a difference. And I've got plenty of examples of uh, situations where, you know, very quick one, you know, uh, this is a drug company, the R&D team, they've been asking scientists, what is it that you need in terms of machines in order to run your experiment? What do they get? You know, the specification of a machine. What is their biggest problem? Well, losing time calibrating the equipment, preparing the experiment. So if suddenly you start to frame your approach to the market on how can I eliminate all this loss of time needed for calibrating equipment, needed to, you know, make this preparation and really help the stakeholders with this? You can bring innovation that's so meaningful that they'll be your friends forever. Or you'll be their friends forever. I really love those those examples there, which which brings this to, to life. And of course, the hardest part, though, is that organizational transformation aspect. And I know that you also have uh, some advice around this for, for, for readers. And it would be great if you could share just a little bit of um, of that advice with us. Yeah, uh, maybe simple, but a little bit counterintuitive sometime. Uh, maybe we should, and we're using the word transformation in the book, but I think, you know, reflecting more and more on this. Um, yeah, we're just going from a two-year transformation to another three-year transformation. I think we need to get back to the vision, you know. What's the vision? What is the long-term um, goals of the procurement uh, organization, what is our aspiration? Uh, continuity of purpose, not just new set of priorities every two years. During the pandemic, outstanding procurement organization have not been communicating about immediate trouble. They've been communicating about, you know, the long term, you know, what wasn't going to change. Uh, maybe there was, you know, uh, demand was going down, but they were communicating about demand will be going up. We need to be able to ramp up. So yes, we might need to decelerate, but never forget tomorrow we will be accelerating. So get back to the vision, get back to the long-term perspective. Second element is creating Slack resources. Um, procurement habit is very often, and I know it's a full caricature, but uh, 
you know, we've got 100 buyers. We break down uh, everything we buy into, you know, 500 segments. We give each of them five segments, mercenaries in their silos and go and get me savings. Well, there's no scope for adapting. There's no scope for changing. There's no scope for sizing opportunities with this type of situation. So CPO need to be able every year to take 5%, 10%, 15% of their team and tell them, well, you're going to be working on this project that's going to be, you know, create a, uh, a shift in the way we work or that he's going to explore the future technology that we don't buy yet, but that we should be buying tomorrow. That's really going to help the business. So thinking beyond the immediate next bucket of spend and really creating the flexibility in the organization that's allowing people to, you know, boost the overall performance and boost the, the added value to the organization. Not everything is about next year, you know, eight months uh, RFP process. We need much more freedom in allocating people to different activities. And by the way, you know, they have the skills for that. In any organization, you'll find 20 people out of 100 who have the knack to go into that direction. We need to give them space, a little bit of coaching and go in this direction. And the last point is the power of network. The, the best procurement organization, people continuously learn from each other, from one category to another, one region of the world to another. There's a continuous flow of learning so that people see that there are other ways. There are different practices. There's different ways of thinking. And rich of all this practice, they can step back and think before just using the same usual process. Hey, what is it that I could do differently that can help me to accelerate, anticipate, explore, exploit the opportunities and deliver better value for the business? And talking there, Hervé, about future and, and plans, um, what's next for you? What are your next projects or uh, priorities coming up? Well, I'm, I'm always very keen to learn from some of the more extreme situations. So, uh, you know, I think it's always very, very full of learning to look at people who do things differently. So um, I've been spending some time, you know, studying with one of my uh, former uh, executive MBA uh, students in China, some of the very complex indirect procurement cases that have been, you know, really finding fascinating in terms of uh, how sometimes they go deep in the value chain in order to have an impact uh, in terms of the organization. I've just finishing a study on hardware startups in the Shenzhen, Hong Kong region. So these are companies selling their uh, um, selling selling their product on Indiegogo, and you know they need to build a supply chain. And how do they do this? How do they you know what can we learn from these companies that are operating that are totally new and they're operating complex and very difficult supply chain, for instance. And last very big project I'm very keen on is to look at um, digital natives company and and how they've built an alternative to procurement, which is all about open source, open hardware initi initiatives. 
This is really about, you know, accessing external resources in a different way. I see some of it coming to procurement sometime. There's a lot we can learn from that, but I'm not going to go into details about it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that with us. And then finally, in the spirit of continuous learning, I am sure that our audience uh, will also want to continue to learn from you. So um, my very last point is how can people get in touch? What's the best way? Well, I think the easier is just to uh, reach me on uh, LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, I haven't been able to share. Uh, the book is full of uh, interviews, is full of uh, mini cases. So uh, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, just drop me a little message and uh, I'll, I'll give you uh, uh, a free ebook so you know you can understand what's really behind fifth generation purchasing. Well, that's a fantastic offer to end on there. And, and thanks again, Hervé, so much for, for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button. Or for more information about us, visit our website, www.pix.com.